Well, we're continuing in Romans this morning, and we must remember this, that, uh, that what, what we're talking about today builds on what we've talked about yesterday and the week before that, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Romans, but I, I don't know how many times I've read it, how many times I've studied through it. This is the second time that I've preached through it in detail, and I find myself growing more and more in my understanding of all kinds of things, ideas that seem to be very obviously set forth in this epistle that have kind of evaded me up to this point. And I just, it's just another example of how important it is to not just read through the book of Romans one time and think you have it under your uh, understanding, but uh, we need to do this continually and constantly. It needs to be the practice of our lives to, uh, to study God's Word uh, over and over again. We will be in Romans chapter 9 this morning. Uh, before we begin, one of the things I would see that I'm a little distressed at at this point is I haven't heard anyone speaking a whole lot about the sovereignty of God in the midst of this crisis we find ourselves in. Uh, I've listened to quite a bit, and, and, and the sovereignty of God is not something that I'm hearing emphasized very much. To put in things in context, this, the sovereignty of God is what Paul is indirectly been emphasizing very much all through this book of Romans. That we have a sovereign God who is almighty, all-powerful, who is in control of absolutely everything that is going on. He hasn't lost control. He's still in the driver's seat. He always has been. He is today. He always will be. A sovereign God. Which means things like this. This virus did not come apart from his perfect will and purpose. This virus has come for a reason. His reason, which may or may not be that clear to you and I. But this is the thing of God. God has sent this into the world. It hasn't some fluke that just kind of escaped and came, up, came in through the back door without him knowing about it. This is the God that we know. This is the God that we worship. The sovereign Lord who has control and power over absolutely everything. And to put these things into context, if you remember Romans chapter 8, which we just finished up, one of the main emphases there of Paul, and it's been this true all the way through the book of Romans, is the absolute sovereignty of God in absolutely everything, including matters of salvation. That he doesn't leave anything up completely, uh, up to and completely solely upon the will and power of man. Because again, if we put this in context with the rest of the book of Romans, we would realize this. If, if God had not done what God did, no one would have been saved from their sins. Period. He could have left mankind in the predicament we brought ourselves into. He chose not to do that. And what we see very clearly from scriptures at the very beginning is God setting apart a special group of people apart from everyone else. 
and doing that according to his sovereign will and purpose. That's a message that's not going to be heard very much today in churches, I would imagine, in most places in this world. God is sovereign. Not just in the things that we want him to be sovereign in. He is sovereign in absolutely everything. We must not forget that. And we must lay hold of that truth. And we need to live that truth. Not just talk about it, not just think about it, but actually live it. Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 or thereabouts. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could not wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenant, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, who are the Father's and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. You notice that is in the form of a prayer. You might not have picked up on that. You find this in the scriptures uh, on a pretty regular basis. And you know, we were very familiar with this word, amen, or amen, however you want to say it. Uh, and we know that's indicative that, that, that what has gone on here is there's been a prayer sent forth. So this is Paul's prayer. I personally believe this, that there is no higher calling on the face of the planet than for someone to preach and teach the word of God. And let me just say this, it's something that every Christian has in common with one another, maybe to different degrees and different levels, but we are all called to share the word of God with other people. Sometimes in larger contexts, sometimes in smaller contexts. The Bible is filled with hard things to say. Things that are difficult maybe for us to talk about. And very often the reason it's difficult to talk about them is because we know that they're not going to be received necessarily very well by people. I mean, this is, but this is the word of God. Paul, obviously, and one of the things you see come through, through this is, 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 is Paul understands his responsibility. But that doesn't mean that he does his responsibility without having human feelings interjecting into this whole thing. You see, Paul has just taught about this fact that God has predetermined the salvation of people. Paul struggled with that too. The fact of the matter is, as much as Paul himself struggled with it, he taught it. Why? Because it's what God said. James in chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. 
a sober warning to people who enter into the teaching of God's word in a slack, thoughtless manner. It's important that we have teachers. But we need to have teachers that are utterly and absolutely committed to preaching God and teaching God's word regardless of how what they say might be received, regardless of how maybe them, they themselves feel about it. Because what we're going to see here in these, but we've already read to some degree in these verses, is this is Paul is grieving at this point. He's grieving for so many of his fellow kindred, the Israelites or the Jews. That the word of God has fallen upon their ears and their hearts and they've been deafened to it. Because of the hardness of their own hearts. It grieves Paul. And you see this more than once. That he is grieved. He is, his heart is hurting. His heart is aching. For so many of his Jewish kindred who even though many of them now at this point have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, have chosen to reject it. His heart is bleeding for them. I'd imagine that most of you know people, maybe there are people in your life that you have been sharing the gospel with over and over again, and you've been praying for the salvation of people for, for years and sometimes decades, maybe some people almost for your whole entire lifetime. And they have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So because that is true, we should be able to re relate to some degree of what's going on with Paul. We all have the grief of our heart. We all have loved ones, people we care a lot about, people that we've invested a lot of our life into, whether they be friends or, or mothers or fathers or, or children or grandchildren or other people. We share in Paul's grief. We all have those people in our lives that even though they have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached and taught and shared with them, they have chosen to ignore it. These are the people to whom Paul is speaking about. There are many, many charges that are brought against the reform perspective on things. And one of those is this, is is that if we believe what we believe, that we believe that Paul and, and God through Paul in the, 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 the eighth chapter of Romans is actually teaching, then we're hard-hearted, cold-hearted people. And that's one of the arguments that you'll even hear from other Christians sometimes is, 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 is that I can't believe that because that's just not God. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. The problem is it grates against our fallen human sinful spirit. But how many people have you been witnessing to for years and years and years and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and your knees are callous because you've been down on your knees so many times praying for the salvation of people. Yet in the stubbornness of their own heart, they refuse to come. 
having that heart should put us in a place that we are sensitive to what's going on with folks. Sensitive to the plights of other people. Because let me tell you something, if it was not for God working in you, that would be you. If, if, if Romans chapter 8 and, and what, if what Paul has written there were not true, then there would be no one that in their whole lifetime would ever come to Jesus Christ. There would, there, Jesus would have come and lived and died and, and been resurrected from the dead and sent it back into heaven and accomplished absolutely nothing for no one. Because we are all dead in our trespasses. We are all, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 Every one of us, there is no innocent one among us. Every one of us desperately, desperately, desperately needs Jesus Christ. And see, this is what distinguishes Paul at this point, who was a Jew, from many other Jews. And that is this, as he heard the gospel, he responded to it. Others that he has taught... And Paul went everywhere, you know, all over the place, preaching and teaching. And what he was doing, preaching and teaching Christ. And he went first to the Jews. Everywhere he went. But then he would leave and he would go on to the Gentiles very often because what, his message was completely rejected by his own people. And it grieved his heart. fact of the matter, God has been involved, engaged in the center of all of this from the very beginning of man. God's been setting apart his chosen people from the very beginning of time in every age. And if he hadn't done that, there would not be one today. Jesus would have accomplished absolutely nothing for anybody. One of the, uh, the arguments against that perspective on things is, is that it's, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair that God is predestined, he's predetermined salvation for certain people back from the very beginning of t time. That argument appeals to the sinful human nature. It makes sense to the sinful human nature. That's what we demand, to have fairness. But the truth of the matter is, is if we want fairness, if we want fairness to the degree that we think we want it, then no, no one would have been saved. God would have left us. If we want, that's what we want. He would have left us where we are, every one of us. But he chose not to do that, and he's been setting apart a chosen people for himself since the very beginning of time. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it has passed through history. That in every age, he's done this. He's brought people to himself. One of the arguments against the reform perspective is this, is that it'll make you arrogant and proud. You'll start to look at yourself and think there's something really special about you that's not special about other people. And God just saw that in you. And therefore, he chose you. 
My friends, that is not at all the perspective the Bible teaches us at all. Not at all. That God must, in fact, do the saving. And do everything necessary to make it even possible. What I would say to you is this, is that when you understand that you're saved by grace, and by grace only, God's grace, it will not make you puffed up. It will not make you prideful. It will not make you keep you in a position where you think you're just special and set apart from everybody else. It will humble the business out of you. That for whatever reason God had, even though you were a, a dirty, rotten, stinking scoundrel, He decided he was going to love you. And that love cost him a very great deal to redeem you. You The cost of our redemption, I don't think any of us has any inkling of what it cost God to save us. The sacrifice that the Father made, the sacrifice that the Son made, the sacrifice that the Holy Spirit has made, that we would have salvation is, is unimaginable to the limited brains and hearts that we have. It is truly a God thing. It's a thing of God. He understands it. You and I don't, but we abide by it because he teaches this to us specifically. There may be people in your life that are so precious to you that you you might have thought at one time or another, you know what, I love this person so much and I want them to be saved so much that I would be willing to give up my own salvation for them to have it. Many of you have children, and I know you love your children a whole lot, and and you you can see a parent making that choice on behalf of their child. If they were given the opportunity to, if you were given the opportunity, you, most of you have children. If God told you, I will save your child if you give up your salvation, would you do that for him? See, this is the heart of Paul. This is what Paul's saying. I love my, my countrymen so much. You need to understand that Paul got just about nothing but hate from his countrymen. Persecution, threats, beatings, stonings, this, that, and the other. And and as much as they beat up on him and, and, and all that sort of thing, he still had a very great love for them. Paul has been saying some very hard things to hear. But the Bible is full of things that are hard for the ears of sinners to hear. Being called as as a teacher, and, and, and you understand that every Christian to some degree is a teacher. You may be only teaching your children 
Or you may be teaching your grandchildren, maybe teaching the little kid that lives next door to you, but there is a context in which every believer is a teacher. Or we're teaching other people what we believe and why we believe it. And there's a sense in which we will all be held accountable for the, what we teach other folks. I think sometimes the fear of that paralyzes us. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid we're not going to say it in a manner that, that uh, comes across as kind and gentle and considerate. But we're all called to share what we know with whoever will listen to us. I was thinking about a seminary class that I took not so many years ago. Actually, it had been a long time ago now. Uh, but it was a preaching class. And uh, you know, there are a lot of things I did early on, a lot of things maybe I said early on that I might not say today. Uh, I have a schedule to preach one day, and you know, one of the things we were told is you need to look at your target audience. You, know, you need to always have this in mind. You know, who am I going to be speaking to? Who am I going to be preaching to? And, and how can I bring the context of their lives into the, or the message into the context of their lives in a manner in which it is very uh, relational to them, where they can engage directly in it and apply what you're teaching specifically to where they happen to be. Uh, that's a real challenge to do that, and so I think this is probably the very first time I preached at seminary, and, and you think, Preaching on Sunday morning is intimidating. You should try preaching in front of a bunch of preachers. It is, uh, or of preachers to be. It uh, can be a rather intimidating thing because you know that everything you say is going to be dissected upside down and backwards and, you know, this, that, and the other. And we also know that preachers very often are very opinionated people and very often they share their opinions and sometimes they do that in kindly manner, but not always. And that sort of thing. So I decided I was going to preach uh, from a passage in Ezekiel that had to do with uh, the shepherds. Because I thought it was a message that would be really good uh, for my target audience. Because these are guys who are being called to be shepherds. And uh, it didn't go very well. <laughs> it didn't go very well at all. As a matter of fact... Uh, the professor just shredded the whole thing to bits. Because uh, I really believe this, that, that again, that we are called to, to preach the whole counsel of God. And I understand that sometimes it's going to be received very you know, wonderfully and that's just and, and whatever. And other times it's going to challenge us in a way that it just hurts. And sometimes it's going to be reflected in the manner to which we react to things. 
But I just want to challenge all of us this morning that if we're going to be teachers of the word, we need to do it. We need to do it with diligence. We need to do it in truth. We need to do it with kindness and goodness of heart. Not ram, cram, jam stuff down people's throats that don't want to hear. That's very often the approach that people get. It's the approach I use for a long time. Just ram, cram, jam it down people's throats whether they want to hear it or not. We need to be sensitive to the context in which people are coming from. It should have everything to do not with altering our message, but altering the manner in which we present that message, to do it in a kindly and loving kind of manner. And there's a good way to do that. And it's always remember that I'm saved by grace and grace only. That if I'm saved and this person I'm talking to is not, it's not because I'm better. It's not because I'm better looking. It's not because there's really something special in particular about me. It's because God has chosen to love me and set me apart and to give me faith to believe it. should be a reminder to all of us that sometimes the message we have is going to be received. It's going to be received very well, but other times it's not going to be. And we cannot let those times when it's not received very well prevent us from doing it. It would be easy to let that happen. We have to share what we know with other people, and we need to do it as often we're given opportunity to do it. Many of you know that I was a student of R.C. Sproul, and uh, he shared with us, and, and he, he refers to this in a few of his books in different places, that when he was in seminary, he, he made up a little card that he put on his desk. And this is what he wrote on the card. He said, it is your duty to believe and to teach what the Bible teaches, not what we would like it to teach. Most of you have heard that before. This is the lot of every Bible teacher. If we're called to teach, and like we said before, we are are to some degree, we are called to teach the Bible not as we think it ought to be or not as we wish it would say, but what it actually, how it actually is and what it in fact does say. Which means at times we're going to be teaching things that grind on the fallen human spirit. And that fallen human spirit would do everything it can to discourage us from, from our message. It will. Paul knows what that's like. Pastors, preachers know what that's like. Sunday school teachers know what that's like. Mom and dads know what that's like. We must be faithful to the word. And through being faithful to the word, being faithful to God. Especially when it comes to matters of salvation. Are you praying for the salvation of people? I'd imagine what you're going to find is that on the other end of this crisis we find ourselves in, 
that there are going to be a lot of people that come to faith in Christ through it. But let me tell you something. If that's what it takes to win one person, salvation for one person, it's well worth all of it. Every sacrifice that anybody and everybody makes to save one single person. We must be faithful to God. But at the same time, we have to be sensitive to people. Just as the Apostle Paul is. We have to remember where their heart is. We have to remember what separates us from the unbelieving world around us. And on the end of it, you know what? You and I are going to come out on the other end of this knowing some things. And one of those is this, is that God's glory was shown forth very brightly in the midst of all of this. Through his church. I just want to encourage all of you to go by your convictions. You know, to be a... To be a pastor in the PCA, you have to be convicted of particular things. And if you're not convicted of those particular things, then basically the message is you might be a believer, but we're not going to allow you to teach and preach in our churches. But that conviction comes to us through the Holy Spirit, because Paul mentions the Holy Spirit here. Remember, this doesn't happen apart from him. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God working together within us to bring about the change that we desperately need. So I just want to encourage all of us to be strong witnesses for our Lord. And let me just tell you, that may look different for all of us. It is going to look a little different for every one of us than everybody else because the context we find ourselves in is not exactly the same thing. But stand firm in your faith. Testify the glory and the power of Almighty God. And share the gospel not only in word but also in deed. As I said last week, it grieves my heart to think that there are church people today that are hoarding things. That's so anti-Christian, it's not funny. The idea that the only, I mean, what, 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 what picture does it project to the world around them? And that is this, this person cares about somebody really, really a whole bunch, and that person happens to be them. They want to make sure that they don't wake up one morning without any toilet paper in the house. They want to make sure that they have plenty of this and plenty of that. And and, and in the meantime, it's like they could care less if by them having an overabundance, it means that other people are going to go without. That doesn't even enter into the picture. And, and, And heaven help us if any Christian has that mindset in the middle of something like this. 
We need to be open and we need to be free and we need to be loving and we need to be caring. We should stand out like sore thumbs that we're not, we're not doing things like hoarding. That we're looking out after the well-being of other people. And the context of that may look a little bit differently for each one of us. But in the midst of it, we must be faithful to the God who has saved us and who is saving us. In his name we pray.